0: episode we're going to be covering the babylon 5 season 2 episode of revelations the second episode in the season so this episode is getting us um much more used to sheridan uh obviously with his introduction in the last episode points of departure as well as continuing some threads that uh, have been left on since the uh, since the season one finale, as well as uh, concluding some stuff and setting up things, it's it's a very, very important episode. Um, however, there's just not a whole lot to say about it because it's it, it's mostly a lot of setup and some payoffs some and, and some interesting sort of behind the scenes stuff. Um, so I think the, the, I'll, I'll start out with Sheridan's sister showing up. Lizzie never really shows up again. Um, and she's a, she's a shorthand plot device used by JMS to immediately get us attached to Sheridan by, by supplying him with a family member in, in which they interact. There is a, um, level of familiarity there uh, between the characters that ensures that uh, that there's no awkwardness, so whereas when he's interacting with Garibaldi later in the episode where Garibaldi says, I don't know you, and it's very clear Garibaldi doesn't really trust him, um, it's it, it, it's from that perspective, so and of course he has Vanova, who's a friend, but they haven't seen each other in a while, so whereas his sister family and blood, uh, you know, blood-related uh, obviously, while you may grow apart, while you may um, have very different worldviews, you ultimately care deeply about your family no matter what. So uh, it, it's, it's shorthand for us to get uh, to, to understand Sheridan. It's a plot device used to expose about Sheridan's backstory and make him interact organically with someone to talk about his backstory without it seeming uh, to be pure exposition or unnatural. Yeah. Um, and, and from that, we get the entire ordeal about him and his wife, Anna. Uh, what I find fascinating about that is Sheridan is a workaholic. Um, he basically got in a routine where, you know, he went to work, he did his thing, came home, was with his wife. And it's, it's a... It's a routine that many people can relate to, or at least relate to a portion of it. I know I've gotten into routines of my life that, you know, life just became life. I did the same thing every day, and it wasn't all that enjoyable, but it was life, you know, you live it. And as a result, he took things for granted. He took his wife for granted, so when she's going to go out and be an explorer out on the rim and and be on this ship called the Icarus and she's not going to see him for a very long time and he he understands and he realizes later of course that his constant distance, his constant obsessing over work caused her to really want to go on this expedition because while she loves him and he loves her, ultimately there was this massive distance between them and uh maybe what they really needed was time time to themselves and so she, he feels like he's drove her away but because he took her for granted he didn't say i love you or did he say goodbye he just said okay and now he blames himself now he has to live with that pain because there's no closure And one thing thing we humans crave is closure. Some stories never have endings, and that drives us nuts. Um, And I know in particular, when it comes to the death, death is one of the hardest things when it comes to closure, because you never know when someone's gonna pass. And that may result in you not really having interacted with them enough. Uh, You didn't feel like you got to say everything you wanted to say before they're gone. And now that they're gone, you're out of luck you can't say anything i know a few months back uh i had uh, i had my dog die and she was really important to me and uh, because of situations that were going on at the time i didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with her on those final few weeks because i was busy with work and Uh, when she passed, I said goodbye, but it didn't feel right because I wasn't there for her as much as I wanted to be. And, um, that, that, that stayed with me for a while. So I can perfectly understand where Sheridan's coming from. Obviously his pain, uh, probably more significant, it's his wife instead of his dog. But, you know, similar emotions, similar feelings, um, it it makes him feel human. He was already incredibly relatable, incredibly likable last episode, but now, you know, you. uh, Now, instead of not just being relatable, but also he has some sort of built in trauma that a lot of people can relate to. Um, And I think it really works to his benefit that. Uh, that's why Sheridan's such a good good commander, in such a likable character, is that JMS does everything he can, even using shorthand and, uh, and and basically plot devices and contrivances in order to get us as the audience to care, but considering this is the second season and he's the new leading man, he, mm-hmm. kind, those kind of shortcuts had to be taken, and it, it does work, it works effectively. Um... The next bit I'm going to talk about is the entire Londo, the, the Londo and Jakar bit, really, the, the, the entire ordeal with Morden and his associates. So, of course, we don't really know, as of now, anyway, who these who's these associates of Mr. Borden are. All we know is that they're incredibly powerful and incredibly mysterious. Of course, obviously, like I've mentioned before, I know because I've seen this show many times. But. What's interesting is that we get a pickup from the finale um, when, when they said that they were going to deal with this situation, they you know, Londo asked what the price would be, and he said there's no price, it's just one of these days I may come to you with a favor. Um, you know, it's quid pro quo. It's very gangster mentality, mobster mentality of, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Um, and that that scene where they're in the Zen Garden is really chilling because, you know, he he's he's sitting there and he's like, if you hear anything out on the rim, just let me know. And and, and Lando says, you know, what what happens the next time I need another uh situation handled, and he goes, well, we'll handle it then and uh and lanto makes a joke and says you may as well just you know uh you go go ahead and wipe out the narn home world while you're at it and uh and then that really chilly line by mr morden of uh one thing at a time ambassador one thing at a time um because we know they can put their money where their mouth is we've seen it uh already we may not know who they are Or what they're fully capable of but we have seen them fully decimate an entire colony uh and then in this episode we see these small versions of whatever the ships are um which as they fold in space it's very clear that they're organic in nature that they 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 were easy they even the smaller versions were were more than a match for anything that the narns could throw at them uh and Speaking of that, the Jakar bit, what I find fascinating is that in the finale, um, Hercelis, he had disappeared because he had realized that the attack by the associates could not have been done by anyone that he knew of. There was no possible way. Um, It wasn't logical. It didn't make any sense. There was nobody with the capacity to do this sort of military strike in that short amount of time with that amount of destruction. So there had to be a different answer, something new. And then he comes back, and then he realizes that it's not a new threat. It's an old threat. Uh, and I really love that line of, um, wait for the future in the Toth. Wait for us all. Um, it, it's a it's an absolutely chilly moment, and uh, it, hel- it helps begin establishing the mystery that's been boilings and signs importance who exactly is Mr. Morden and who exactly are his associates um and I like that Jakarta immediately tries to put aside everything uh he even turns to Lando at one point and says that you know the hatred between our two people uh you know is insignificant compared to what this you know threat is uh and it's clear that it's some ancient threat he mentions Zaha Doom which is this planet out on the rim which, um, you know, hasn't seen life in thousands of years. And uh, there's this ancient threat that matches what's going on, mentioned in the Book of Dracuan. This is something related to Narn religion somehow. It's it's all really fascinating and really sets the stage that this is a big epic level threat. Something's going on, something's building. Um, And what I love about uh, this entire situation and B five in general is that the build up to the big threat, which of course I won't spoil what it is, is done so well and so slowly that, and that's not me mocking saying that it's slowly. It's I'm actually complimenting that it's done slowly. Is that it builds up this um, mystique around Mr. Morden and his associates, that they're almost like this. Old god level threat, not not you know, not quite the same, but you know, the equivalent of this mystique around the old gods and you, you know, in Lovecraftian horror, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, Cthulhu shows up and drives everyone insane and call it Cthulhu, you know. So it's kind of like that, where it's just this threat building in the background, building and building and building and building, and, building, and it feels like it's going to get to the point that you choke on it, and then all of a sudden you find out what it is um and of course we're building but we haven't figured out exactly who and what they are um the other the other section the c plot i would say of this uh, this episode is garibaldi he has been in in a horrible medical situation been in a coma since uh, being shot in the back um and franklin uses the Uh, alien healing device from the quality of mercy to heal him because there was no way he was going to be able to save him and get out of this coma. Now, it's a great way to bring that back and clearly what it was always designed there for. um, There's another situation that will be used, but I won't spoil what. There's a problem with it. Sheridan, who knows nothing of Garibaldi um, and has recently just came on the station, willingly gives up part of his life force to save Garibaldi's life. Well, that's perfectly in character with Sheridan. Sheridan is a very kind, very good person. Um, And he makes some good arguments when he's talking to Franklin, and Franklin comes to a compromise that we will both use it so that we don't cause too much harm to each other, or to, 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 to ourselves, so we'll split the difference, basically. I think that sacrifice the healing of Garibaldi was always meant for Sinclair. And you can tell it's being set up that way because they, throughout the first season, it is constantly mentioned... For Garibaldi to watch his back, and then uh, the alien healing devices is created, and then we uh, get tons and tons of establishment and check ins of Garibaldi and Sinclair's friendship. It's very clearly supposed to be friendly love, you know, willingly giving up part of your life essence to save your one and only friend, basically. Makes perfect sense if it's Sinclair. Sheridan, he makes some good arguments, but it's clearly JMS writing himself out of a hole because you can tell. That that plot line was always meant to be Sinclair, and you could have gotten tons and tons of drama, and pathos, and and some really good scenes, if that was Sinclair. With because it's Sheridan and not Sinclair, who has no personal attachment to Garibaldi whatsoever, you end up with a scene that clearly feels like it's rushed. Um, that that scene where he where he's the healing device is very clearly just you know, it's a matter of fact, boom, we gotta do it. We we need our head of security back. Boom, done. You know. It's 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 our loss, but it still works out. Um and I do love that Garibaldi's very first words when he wakes up is, What's up, Doc? Uh, that's very Garibaldi. Um, but Garibaldi is going to have a hard time after this. I'll talk more about this in the next episode because that is more in line with talking about his paranoid personality and the issues he's going to have recovering from being shot in the back. But it's very clearly got to him. Uh, The moment he sees Sheridan, he goes, I don't know you. You know, it it, is very clearly, I don't trust you at all. I don't know you. You replaced my friend You're supposed to be my superior, but... How am I supposed to know if I should even trust you? You know... And while he likes Talia... He knows that she's Sycor... And therefore, when talking about the situation with Jack... He has to ensure that she's out of the room... Uh, And then, obviously, his big emotional blowout to Jack... uh, Great when he slams the cane down on the table... uh, Because, you know, he he's struggling right now and this man who was his you know second in command who you know he taught everything he knew to betrayed him shot him in the back um and has really well handled uh the 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 uh entire uh situation there i think jack i i don't know if i've mentioned this before but i do think that jack is a symptom of the the 90s uh, on the show, the inexperience with serialized storytelling. If this was a character, uh, you know, if, if this was a story we were telling in a modern serialized uh, story like a Game of Thrones or uh, you know a Westworld or whatever Jack would have been a character that we would have introduced very early on and we would be checking in on him every so often, maybe episode, maybe every two episodes, we'd get to know a bit about his personality, a bit more about his personal life make him relatable and interesting and then reveal that he's a traitor um we don't do that here. He gets a couple of obligatory scenes in previous episodes in which he has next to no lines in a couple of them. He's in the background and literally has no lines. And then he betrays Garibaldi. And then, obviously, this episode. Um, so the betrayal doesn't feel as personal to the viewer. It feels personal to Garibaldi, but not to us, the audience. And I think it would have been done very differently in a modern television show. However it's acted well that entire scene and, and and the 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 coming back is full circle with bester obviously bester and uh and garibaldi didn't get along with uh, along with each other in mind war and famously at the end of that episode bester turns to him and sinclair gives them the the, the once uh, gives them the salute and goes be seeing you and of course that is exactly the same salute and the same words spoken by jack to garibaldi before he leaves the room Obviously, Psychor is behind this, and it's mocking him. Um, in the original version, this was supposed to be Laurel Takashima. Obviously, that didn't happen, uh, but it's still well done enough. And I, and definitely, if this was Laurel, instead of Jack, would have we would have cared about the betrayal because Laurel would have been a main character. She would have been the Ivanov of the show. would have been interesting to see how he would have dug himself out of that hole, but uh obviously that didn't happen and it's good enough for what it is um i do like that um sheridan is not an idiot uh obviously he showed his smarts last episode but when the president you know Er the president of earth calls Randomly, the commander of the Babylon 5 station to talk about a lowly criminal that shot the head of security in the back and didn't really have much else, wasn't even connected to any of the politics, Sheridan immediately realizes something is up. There's something wrong here. And he realizes he has to comply because he was told to put the, the, uh, the prisoner on a, on a prison transport heading to Earth. He had no choice. He had to comply. It was a presidential order. But it's very clear from the way Sheridan starts acting and reacting to the things he's saying and uh, he, the actions taken, he immediately distrusts President Clark because why would the president call about such a superficial matter? Makes no sense, right? Unless he's part of this situation, the part of the reason why Garibaldi was shot. And Garibaldi even brings that up of the newspaper headline that I brought up in my spoiler section uh, back in season one about the about CyCor, which is not supposed to take any political action whatsoever, backing Clark uh, for vice president. And now he's the real president. Maybe he's their puppet. Maybe not. Uh, and that ending of uh, it gets rather cold up here doesn't it Lieutenant Commander yes sir yes it does what a haunting ending because it's indicative of things to come it's only going to get far worse from here and that's the great thing about Babylon 5 is when you win you still lose okay I'll see you next time for the Geometry of Shadows see you later bye